Um, I don't know. Rob and I are going to do an episode of Parabell. Oh, was it? Oh, are we recording? We're recording. Oh, shh. Nikes. Um, Is this thing on? <laughs> All right. I can yeah. hear you now. Can you hear me? Now? All right. What do we got here? Welcome to Parababble. Introduction. Oh, we are. You told me I was on Facebook. Welcome this to Parababble. Is, this is our pre-Halloween episode. Pre-Halloween episode. What does that mean, Rob, exactly? Pre. It's, it's our... It's our last episode before Halloween. So, we tri- we we've decided to go with what? Tricks and treats. Ooh. And murders. <laughs> In frozen parts. Many frozen parts. Those are the treats. Yeah. <laughs> Don't come to Parababble's house. Decapitated heads. Ooh. Well, today's episode should be really interesting. And I will say this, and I've said it before to you. I think we said I said it off air. I do not like true crime stories. I do not watch them at my unless, house. Unless it's all about forensic cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I, he likes the after, aftermath of the true crime. I almost texted. I was at work today and I went to, when, I don't know what you said. You did your homework or something. Yeah. And you said something. I, I almost typed up, unless it's forensic cleaning. And I had to stop because someone came in the office and I had to do some stuff. So I never, but yes, that's, I think that's the interesting part. But, you know, sit there and listen to people, you know. So you don't want to know how the brains got on the wall. You just want to know how to clean them up. Well, I want to kind of know that. I still want to go through the relationship part and how it was weird and they met at having coffee and next thing you know, her brains are on some, like, windshield. That doesn't bother me. I, I don't get into that type of stuff. Like, which chemicals did the cleaning lady use to clean up <laughs> the blood from the decapitated head on Ted Bundy's mantle? Oh, that's easy. Lysol. There you go. Okay, episode solved. Good night, everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But where I was leading to, doing my um, my research for this topic. And what topic is that? This is um, serial killers. Mm-hmm. Um, Count Chocula, <laughs> Frankenberry. That's the other one. First of all, it's Booberry. Booberry. <laughs> Second of all, I will have you know that I had a Count Chocula cereal for dinner tonight. <laughs> so I let me know how that works out for you. It's working out great for me. It's going to work right out. No, it's great. Oh Can you God. tell the sugar's really like woken him up? <laughs> it's about time. It has. I know. I was slept through the whole last episode. It's like we just did a marathon taping of mm-hmm. other episodes and you're awake now. I know. That always happens our second episode. We're all more awake. It's your second wind. It's no, I think true. it's all of us too. Yeah. We well, don't really come in hot on our first inside taping. Inside info, we record two episodes at a time usually. Oh no. Well we I've got away. I've got a spot of tea, <laughs> which is helping. Mm. There's no sugar in that tea, though. It's black. It's caffeine. Mm. Same difference. It gives you a lot of energy. But anyway, researching this, like I said, I don't really like the topics. Or, like, I could give a shit less what John Wayne Gacy did or... <gasps> I'll let you know. Bless I did me. lots of well, research on it. So <laughs> I, I went and did some different things, which kind of actually will help balance the show out a little bit tonight. And I found it very interesting that there, these guys were pretty screwed up. You think? Well, yeah. So, <laughs> this research I tonight... I, I like think, to take people's hands and eat them. I mean... I mean, yeah. You, know. you don't hear about that every day. But... Well, most people don't. Most people don't. It's, it's, it's not on your uh, 6 o'clock fluff news. You know that there's over, like, 200 active serial killers in the United States at any given moment? <clears throat> really? Let's, um... Mm-hmm. I got... I, I went to a stats page. I went to the FBI stats page. Oh, Nice. And I pulled out a Am lot I close? of mm, sort of. 
How many active active serial killers are there? Well, serial killer statistics. Number of classified serial killers worldwide since 1980. 154. And this was done last year. United States classified serial killers since 1980. Currently, 87. Oh, I'm sorry. Number of classified serial killers in the U.S. since 1980 is 87. Number of active serial killers at any given time in the United States, 35. Okay, so off. I was a little off. <laughs> Your chances of meeting one are like .00013. It's really... You have a better chance of winning the lottery than you do running into a serial killer. I think there's more than that. You're allowed that. I mean, how would they know? They they have to have some type of probably database like active running. investigations maybe. I mean they're just spitting this out mm-hmm. and there's probably like you said there's probably active investigations that they're currently working so they probably play around with that number but what they have going on you know is kind of cool. So what I did was I know you guys went after the the serial killers here at Parababel. Does it give you stats versus male versus female? It in there it does somewhere, but I was curious about where. This all started from and how they coined that name, Serial Killer. A guy named Robert Ressler, um, he actually is credited with coining the term serial, serial Killer. And another guy was John Douglas, I believe. How many people do you have to kill to be considered a serial killer? Three or more. And you have to have a cooling off period. Like your big boys you're going to talk about tonight, those are the heavies in the game. And they go two, three... And then they chill out, and then they bring it back up. And that's how they've started forming these patterns. But this guy, um, Ressler, he did this since the 60s, and he's since passed on. But he's like the godfather of serial killers, um, uh, FBI, and figuring out these cases. So <clears throat> he put a book out, blah, 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 blah. And he had another guy that always worked with, John Douglas. And these two really put the research in on serial killers and this is how they started formulating with you know you know you get all your psychologists like the in FBI there. profilers and all that. Yeah, because I was really just like where did this turn up from? Who you know, like the godfather of paranormal, you know? Who who started this? Where did it come from? And John Douglas and Russler were the two guys for the FBI that figured it all out. And they kind of built that. And you know, like you said, your Ted Bundy's, your Jeff Jeffrey Dahmer's, um, Gacy these guys were the heavyweights. So that's how they started building all their cases and stuff. So <clears throat> that's where it came from. You know, it's, it's out there. Uh, he was in, you know, Robert Russler and John Douglas. These two guys you can thank for Silence of the Lamb or all these movie profiles and how they work. So then it led me to how does this all come about? Where do we start putting the ideas together that Rob, you have a couple weird characteristics. Okay. (laughs) And you went out and say you murdered 10 people. Who said that? Just, all right. Okay, you're not on the stand. Okay. All right. Right? (laughs) So they started putting together the backgrounds of these people, these killers, after they got them by talking to them, interviewing them, picking their brains. And they came up with a, I got like a general list. I mean, I went to the FBI page, and let me tell you, these guys, for the people who are learning this stuff, and this is probably just a snippet of it, this thing was pages, pages and pages. 
anyone who was interested in it would have to be interested in it because most of it's like small types. Like, oh my God, this is like reading a contract. But, <clears throat> so I grabbed like 10 of the most common characterizations. So the first one, they start out with number 10. Are children who are exposed to a lot of alcohol, substance abuse, um, around it or in the womb, however, but it's a, it's a, it's a mainstay. Um, it's stating that 70% of serial killers experience problems related to substance abuse. So there have been very few seller, uh, serial killers addicted to alcohol and substances. So there's a whole thing, but it happened in their youth. It started them on the wrong path. And then we break, break up to number nine, which, you know, some of this seems like common sense, and it is. Um, you know, abusing children, your child, you know, they get neglect, they're humiliated, they're uh, desensitized at some point, and they start putting their, their barriers up. They become different. And their self-esteem goes out the window. So at some point that self-esteem is going to turn around, you know, make them go. But as a, as a starting point, it's, a, you know, it's not good. Um, sexual stressful events in childhood. Uh, that's pretty explanatory right there. Um, you know, things happen in their, their child years and it has to do with, you know, punishments, sexual deviant stuff that I want to go there, but I won't, um, we can all figure it out, but it really does lead a child to have some social isolation and a quick little fact on that. 46% of serial killers never finish high school. 46. It's almost half of who's out there. So either they're so smart or they're so dumb, whichever, but most serial killers are out there, especially when it comes to um, their IQs, they're pretty up there. Bedwetting, like I said to you off air, I used to bedwet when I was a kid. Does that make me a serial killer? No. Was I abused? No. But bedwetting was one of those things that you know you don't talk about, or if your parents back in the day, or your grandparents wanted to embarrass you to stop you from bedwetting, what they do? They put their sheets out on the line, and they would be dirty. Well, so, it could also be a byproduct of abuse. Right. Things like that. Um, <clears throat> again, 50%, 57% of serial killers were bedwetters until an unusually advanced <clears throat> age. So that was number seven. So I'm down to number six here, and it's growing up lonely and isolated. And I, I don't know how this fits into a lot of it because there are a lot of people in this world as adults and kids who are alone and on their own. And they are isolated from things, but it does tie in a little bit, but you know, they stay out of people's way, you know, they don't have a lot of friends, so they just do their own thing. And again, lots of kids are like that, but if you don't have all of these traits starting to play together and tie in, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to become what you were thinking about earlier, Rob. Just saying. Um, Fantasies is number five. They uh, <clears throat> fantasize over their own traumas over and over again. The difference being that in these fantasies, they are the assailant. So they're always, re- it's always reoccurring. 
So, <clears throat> before the serial killer kills for the first time, the fantasies normally focus on committing the murder. Afterwards, the fantasies will focus on committing each more each murder more successfully with greater efficiency. So they're already they're already starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So, um, number four, preferring auto erotic activities, um, watching porn, different things, experimenting sexually, blah 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 blah. Oh, didn't see that. We'll skip that part. But um, yeah, so that uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> scarring on their uh, genitals due to aggressions that accompany um, masturbation. So that's one of the big ones. That's at number four. Number three, voyeurism and um, having all kinds of fetishes. That's pretty self-explanatory. Another one, number two, would be 99% of serial killers act out fantasies on animals. So they start violently hurting animals, testing them, just doing whatever shit is all messed up with. So in the case, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer admitted to that too, that he had a lot of, you know, issues with that, and that's how it managed to go to bigger things. The number one reason they're saying with serial killers is a, a trait is physical injuries. Head injuries received during accidents, repeated head traumas, um, that has a lot to do. They've seen in 70% of serial killers, they had some type of uh, head injuries as children and adolescents. And it's all in the front side of their brain, the prefrontal cortex. So those are some of the things that these, this wrestler and John Douglas researched, and they've carried it on into the FBI. So everything that you would probably think if you just sat down and said, oh, it's common sense, oh, they probably, like, just, you know, dismember this or, you know, a couple things in there, like bad wedding, I wouldn't consider that. But that's kind of just a general outline of what's going on with these these guys. And I know it probably ties into a lot of what you guys have to do, you know, with your research. But, you know, I'll throw out some facts later about, you know, who's killing who and what races are important in this and all that stuff, but... You know, so I don't know who you guys want to talk about. So who do we got? I know, Allison, you got like a double header that might tie in two, two into one. Well, mine's really old, though, so I don't know if we want to go like modern and work our way back or if you want to start. Sure, because I have like a thousand that yeah. I can talk about if I you know, want. and you really <laughs> enjoy talking about this topic. <laughs> That's a little creepy. Probably more so than any of us, so I don't want to deprive you. <laughs> you better not deprive me. You don't know what I'll do. Nope. <laughs> we don't. Um, so where do you want to start, Rob? I don't know. There's so many good ones to choose from. <laughs> well, at the most, there's only, what, 184 that ever were here? Well, I don't know. You don't well, know. That. I mean, like I said, this is just a general number. I mean, since... Since 1980, the classified serial killers are like 154. But in the U.S., since the 80s, it's 87. And currently, the number of active serial killers, it sounds like it's a, like it's a job on the weekends. Um, there's 35 of them. How about Dennis Rader, the BTK killer? Okay. This guy. <laughs> Why are you laughing already? Because he's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just blows the theory because usually they're pretty smart, right? Yeah, they're pretty ingenious. Well, you know, I think he was smart, and then he just got old, and you know, his his downfall was technology, basically. And you know, he's he's an older guy by the time he got caught. 
Because he started between 1974 and 1991. He murdered 10 people in Wichita, Kansas. That counts. Three or more. So, I mean, he's the BTK killer, so bind, torture, kill. That's basically how he... What is it? Bind, bind torture, 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 kill. Is that what that stands for? Yes. Yeah. I he never would, knew what that stood for. He would tie them up. He would actually be, like, in their homes. Um, from what I remember about him, I'm just, just, just off the top of my head, he would... Uh, <laughs> Your prefrontal cortex? Yes. He's just accessing his serial my killer memory, mind files. My memories from when I did all the research on all of these people. I can't believe I didn't know that. Um, yeah, he would, he would actually be in their home. He would stalk them for a while. And then he would... <coughs> torture. No, he would, uh, he would go, he would break into their homes, like, when they weren't there. Because he would be stalking them, and you know, and they were gone, and when they would come in, he would bind them up, he would torture them, and he would kill them eventually. So that's what he did. So between, he got pleasure out of each one of those steps. Yeah, between 74 and 91. Uh, let's see here. Yep, he would, um, bind their limbs, and then st- he would strangle them to death eventually. That's, that's how he would do it. So in, uh... 1988, he kind of just stopped, you know, because he started in the 70s and then he disappeared, so there's this cooling off point. And he would always, like, write letters to the police taunting them, you know, typical serial killer uh, activity, like, uh, trait there. Um, Let's see. In 2005, he's an older guy now, 2005. Wow. He reemerged. And this lovely guy here, he, um... He worked at a church, I believe, or he was a volunteer. He was a big church going guy. So he could always meet new people. Yeah. <clears throat> so he, um, he, uh, he used to write letters, so he's keeping up with the times, or at least he's trying to. So he sent a floppy disk to the police, <laughs> and that's how they caught him, because they were able to trace some of the information on the floppy disk, back to his church. That's where he got the floppy disk from. And really? they tracked it to him, yeah, because it was like his information was in there. Well, okay, the information's there, but go on. Uh, anyway, he's in prison now, and he's con- he's um, he confessed, and he is serving ten consecutive life sentences with the earliest possible release date of February 26th, 2180. Wow. I'm rooting for him to make it. <laughs> Why? I'm not really. <laughs> I mean, is he, he'll be in a nursing home at that point. Why? I mean, he might be already. I mean, look at him. He's not making it. Doesn't he just look like the crabby ass at your local church who? Yeah. Things on floppy it's drives? always so weird how they look so normal, though. Does he really though? Yeah, I mean, he just looks like a normal person. I guess so. I mean, some of these other ones look um, not so normal. I guess you know. All right, so he's probably the most recent one that's been in the news, right? Yeah, he's yeah he's probably the most recent one that one of the bigger, more recent ones. Um, there was also Richard Ramirez, and that was the early '90s, though. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he um, on the episode of American Horror Story Hotel? Yes, mm-hmm. he was. The Night Stalker. Actually... The Night Stalker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I might know a little too much about this stuff too. Rob. He stayed. At... <laughs> Remember, remember our unsolved mysteries episode. Yes. When we talked about that uh, Elise Lamb who died in the Cecil yes. Hotel, he actually stayed there in L.A. back in the early '90s when he was on his killing spree. Really? Yep. Oh, that's creepy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, his thing was he would uh, 
he would also break into people's homes uh, like during the day and he would like hide somewhere and he would wait until like, people went to sleep and then he would just like go over their bed as they were sleeping, wake them up and kill them. So that you get startled when you see somebody. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to like, you know, he would kill like couples in their beds and he would make one couple watch as he killed the other and then you would move on and kill the other. I just want to say I'd be so pissed mm-hmm. off if that happened. Mm-hmm. Especially if I realized that somebody was standing over me in my bedroom. You know, sometimes you fall asleep, you just sit there and stare at the wall or the ceiling. I do, and I'm like, what if somebody actually came upstairs, you know, into my home and was standing over me? How pissed off would I be? I'm just saying. But these people probably didn't have any time to react. No, they were in bed. I mean, they were sleeping. Right. They were literally, you know, snoozing. <laughs> Catching some Z's. Mm-hmm. Permanently. Exactly. I think he's kind of a jerk because yeah, he's kind of a snobby. Dick. It really is when you think <clears throat> about it. Yeah. I mean, he at least put some effort into it, like yeah. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Well, Who, by the way, is the killer clown. Um, <laughs> and that is where it came from. Yeah. Am I not? Am I, is that correct? I don't know. Think about it. Where did Stephen King get this idea from? When I read that, that's the only thing I read about Gacy was the fact that he was doing the parties as a clown. And I'm like, oh, damn. So this is where this whole scary clown thing came from. What was his clown name? Pogo. 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 That's right. There's there's a gaming channel out there called Pogo. Doesn't he um, still do art of Pogo and sell it? He's dead. Well, didn't he he go while he was in jail? He was doing it, right. Yeah, he made paintings and he would sell them. I'm sure they went for quite a bit of money. Oh, yeah. Put a little blood on it. It's an original Gacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the Gacy display this weekend. You want one of those for your birthday? Yeah. That would be great. Do we even have a listing or pricing on that? What some of his paintings would go for? I don't know. I should look it up because I think I heard of it one time. But Yeah, but anyway, he was um, he was abused. As a, he was beaten as a child by his father. Probably a couple shots to the head. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably more than a couple. Um, at one point, he lived in a room behind an embalming room in a mortuary. Uh, he had a pretty cool job. He he managed three KFCs. <laughs> it's amazing what these guys did. Or is it not amazing because of the extreme that they went to to kill people? Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh my God, he like managed three KFCs. Well... Is that cool because of who and what he's known for? Or, you know, that could be just like the average day Joe. I got to manage three KFCs, man. I got a car payment. I got a house payment. But you go out and hack some people up mm-hmm. and make some paintings in jail. Guess what? Now you're like this How did he have legend. time? How did he have time to manage three KFCs while he was murdering people and burying them in his basement? Well, I think that was his early career. Um, Isn't that what he did? Didn't he put him in the basement with like limestone or something? His crawl over? space. He just put him in his crawl space. Right above yeah. in the ceiling. And the smell yeah. got so bad. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's what, I mean, what happened was he actually um, was sentenced to 10 years in prison before he killed anybody for abusing a teenage boy. So the cops were on them. Mm. Well, no, they weren't because they it's so stupid. Well, I mean, he had a record at that he point. Did. He did. He had a record. Yeah. And he was married. Um, his wife left him after he was sentenced to prison for the first time around. He actually only served 18 months, though. And um, he was charged with abuse months later, later, but the victim never showed up at um, court. 
So the parole board um, was not informed, so he didn't go back to jail. And if that victim had shown up that he abused, he, he probably never would have. Like this is before any of his murders. He wouldn't have gotten out. He probably would. wouldn't. He probably would have went back to jail and probably <sighs> all these about people robbing the ball. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then he got married again. And in 1975, he became Pogo the Clown. It wasn't until 1972 that he killed his first victim. Um, and I guess the story went that um, someone that... He had a construction business, too, or he worked for a construction business. And he uh, lured home one of the young boys that worked in his construction business. And the, uh, the morning after he lured the uh, young kid there, he killed him because he thought like he was attacking him with a knife or something, but he was actually just making breakfast. So he killed the the boy, and I guess he thought that he liked it, and so he would uh, lure them to this house, saying that he needed help working on something, and he would have this sick game where he would uh, he would like dare them and say like, "Hey, I'll see how strong you are, and tie you up with these handcuffs or something, and see if you right. get out." And that was just his way of starting to kill you. You know, you're talking. Okay, go on. Yeah, anyway, um, he killed a lot of people. He killed, let me see. 33. Yeah, that's when he was convicted of killing 33 people. And eBay doesn't have any of his paintings, just so you know. Oh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's disappointing. <laughs> the police started to catch on him eventually. I mean, it took him a while. He killed 33 people, and he almost got to the point where he was, like, taunting the police. At one point, the police were monitoring him, and he knew it. And he actually was on record uh, as going... Uh, there was one time when he actually went up to one of the police monitoring him, and he told them that clowns can get away with murder. <laughs> Didn't he start killing, like, two people at a time yeah, or something he towards killed, the end? Yeah, he would kill two at a time sometimes. Um, and he, So crazy. He would bury them in the crawl space under his house. There was 26 bodies found in his house when he was finally caught. I can't even imagine, like, what it would have smelled like. And I think that's probably... I think that was how he eventually got caught, as the police smelled it and finally Yeah, got... those bodies have to reek. Oh, yeah. That's 26 like a, bodies? That's like a bad can of worms left open on a dock or something. Mm-hmm. You gotta smell it. Yep. Do you so, want... it... anyway, he spent 14 years in prison before he was lethally injected in 1994. On that topic of Gacy, I was looking up, like, some of the weird things that you wouldn't really know about and some of the circumstances that kind of, like, wow, this is a serial killer doing this, this, and this. With Gacy, like you said, you know, he's tied for the record for most kills with, um, oh, what's his nuts? Ted Bundy. Oh, Bundy? Yeah, they're both at 33, but... You know, like you said, burying them in the crawl spaces. Um, Someone's got more. He was, he was regarded as a pillar in his community. He owned his own construction businesses, um, like you said, through parties with the neighbors, did fundraisers, dressed as Pogo. But as a result of all the positive work he did for the community, Gacy was appointed director of Chicago's Polish Constitution Day Parade in 1975. He held that position until 1978. When he had his weirdest brush with fame, wife of President Jimmy Carter and First Lady of the United States, Rosalind Carter, attended the event and took a photo with Gacy. 
I remember hearing about this. Gacy is wearing an S. I have a photo of this. S pin in his <clears throat> on his vest. Something that the Secret Service issues to people that they have cleared and deemed to be no threat. So <laughs> these guys, and right there is the pin or whatever, the S or whatever. These guys get through like... Well, he was no threat to her. She wasn't a teenage boy. Right. Right. But just but think about it. But think about it, like, yeah. You could walk down the street. I know the chances are small, but that that person could be a serial killer. And, and you know, I was just showing Allison the average IQ of a serial killer is 94.7. And the average age that they kill is 33. So funny that Gacy had 33, but I think he, you know, that was just him dropping the ball. Fucking getting he got sloppy. sloppy at the end, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's just a little fact that he got to meet the first lady and got through... Secret Service, and it was like you know an outstanding, outstanding member of um, society, and that's a that's a lot of what goes on here with these guys. They're not like, you know how they say you shouldn't uh, judge the book by the cover. Well, what does a shoplifter look like? Well, you think he's got like a big long trench coat? And he's this and that. Shoplifters look like anybody. So these guys are just rolling up and taking whatever they want. But I'm sorry, I just wanted to interject that little piece there that you know. Well, towards the end, when they start getting crazy like that, sometimes they've even said, like, they, they know they need to be caught. Yeah. Like, they just can't stop, and they know that somebody's got to catch Something. them, so they get sloppier and sloppier as it goes on, just... And you mentioned something about technology in there, too. Um, the BTK killer got yeah. caught because of a floppy disk, yeah. But here's the... Th- <laughs> he did. This kind of ties into a little bit of um, some statistics that... <laughs> The 70s and 80s were like a booming time for yeah. serial killers. I mean, that was, they were the life of the party. The 90s hit. All of a sudden, all this technology started coming into play. Flop, like you say, floppies, computers. Um, uh, they, they put together how to figure out DNA, and they can go back, and they can get all this different stuff. That really put serial killers out on the boat. I mean, they're like, now they're like, they're, they're almost non They're out there, but they're almost, not like it was a big party anymore. And I find that, you know, just crazy how it's dwindled off. Well, they probably get caught after the first murder. Well, yeah, it's, it's much harder It's much harder to get away with. And, and even that, you know, like you said, you got to do two, three, four, and then have a cooling off period. But, you know, if you do two, you got you got to figure. You always hear, I read a lot of, um, you see, I don't like to talk about it, but I read a lot of books about FBI agents and their stories. And they tell you that no matter where, where you go, what you do, you have a trail of DNA and they can find it. And you think about today's technology from like 40 years ago or 50 years ago, it's like night and day. Yeah. So, you know, you might walk in and think, you know, I had my gloves on, I had a, this on, and you leave a piece of hair off your arm. Well, this guy was here. He's never been here before. They can do all that, but it doesn't mean they're good at it. I mean, I, I just uh, think about like making a murderer. Like someone... You, your family in jail? Or? No, I just... No, like, you saw that show Making a Murder and what they convicted him on? Yes. It's, like, ridiculous. Well, that, the original conviction was, like, way back when, wasn't it? Yeah, but like, they... Right. The most recent one where the woman was supposedly mm-hmm. killed and burned... Thrown and burned. ...in his backyard and, like, killed in the, in the trailer, like, sliced her throat open, bled, bled everywhere, not a single shred of DNA in her whole entire... in the whole entire place. How did they pull that off? Yeah. How did he still get convicted of that? Well... I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in the justice system. Again, 
you know, getting a little off topic, the the two that shot it were, you know, pro this guy. You know, they were for him and they angled a lot of the story to make it look like the cops were just out to harass him and stuff. Well, but Well yeah, but there's still no evidence. I know. I've been watching those uh conspiracy tapes. It's a show that just came out on Netflix too and it's all about um false confessions, like people confessing to things that they didn't actually do. It is so freaky what to they get, caught? get you to do. No. Because cops just know how to like wear you down. They know how to break you down psychologically to the point where you just will say anything. It's nuts. Like, wow. You don't think it could happen to you, but... Yeah, I don't know. If there's one thing I've learned from watching the first 48, <laughs> the making of a murderer, <laughs> confession tapes, <laughs> all of those kinds of shows, is if anything ever happens, the first words out of your mouth should be, I need my lawyer. <laughs> Yeah, but most of these people that get caught in these situations are what? Duh. They're not, they're not exactly the highest level of uh, intelligence um, running around. Sometimes. So you do get those, but yeah. like I know you uh, was the first forty eight. Yeah. Watching that show, I've watched that show a lot, but you know they're pulling in you know regular little street uh, hoodlums that are just pissed off because you know they took your forty and then they're shooting up the place and then you know. Bozo, whatever did it, and it's not really the case. So, Bozo the clown did it. Maybe Pogo. Pogo. Well, I'm just saying, just you know, because the yeah, cops can wear you down. They can they can lead they can lead where it needs to go, you know, and they know how to do that because most normal citizens, especially you know, these kids or guys that are just street level thugs. They they don't have any brains to that unless they get outsmarted like somebody like Sean Wayne Gacy, right? Then it, that's a whole different that's a whole different level of game. I think it's harder to be a serial killer in a city that has a high crime rate. I think it's easier in like back back country kind of places. So you're not being seen. Well, not even because the cops don't have the same Research level of expertise. Like if you're living in like a city where there's murders all the time and you have like you know a good solid homicide department you're probably not going to be a serial killer there but if you're like in some rural place where there's one sheriff <laughs> it's probably a lot easier <laughs> well to get away with stuff that's why ed, ed gain so much wasted potential there <laughs> there's he an upside one, to him <laughs> is he the one with the skates he took the skates and like Made things out of people and yes, <laughs> he made like the lamp shades. I right? yeah. took the human skin, to... but most of his, you know, furniture came from um... his mom. No, he had a weird obsession with his mom. I think, but right. um, it was uh, grave robbing. Yes, he would, he would take corpses because wasn't he only? Killed... Yep. All right. See, We're two people on it now. Two people. Um, two people. It's rumored to be three. A lot of people think he killed his brother, but it's not confirmed. He killed like a neighbor. Right, mm-hmm. didn't he? Mm-hmm. And some neighborhood woman. Yeah. Just to just to break up some of the fun here. So we were talking about um, <laughs> we we're talking about the percentage of uh, races that get in um, serial killers' views. White is fifty-two, black forty percent, and then the numbers just drop right off. They go to Hispanic like six point one, Asian point seven, Native American point eight. Um, by sex, men, ninety point eight, women, nine point two. So, was that percentage of races that were serial killers or victims of serial killers? 
Demographics of a serial killer. You know, you know why it's so much higher in men than it is in women? Because hmm. men can't control their emotions. Women are so much better at controlling their emotions and so much better at dealing with that kind of stuff. I feel like men just can't handle emotions. And then before you know it, you've got 26 bodies in your crawl space. Yeah, because they just can't handle it. How did um, Ed Gein get caught? Ed Gein? Um, I think after his second murder, they just, like, he just... They pulled him in as a suspect? Yeah, it was just a stupid thing that he, though he killed her and... Well, the, the investigators were on to him. I mean, I'm going off a of memory from watching a movie and how they played it out, mm-hmm. but I know movies can twist the tails a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I know he's like the big inspiration for like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and everything, and but I believe he shot this woman like in town, and it was just like really obvious. He found her bar. stuff though, didn't he? Didn't he find? Didn't they find like her skates and like a suitcase that belonged yeah, to her or something? Yeah, he, he had like all these like. He had body parts all over his house, and he had he had like little That's containers with like teeth in it and things like that. So, well, yeah, you... there was like a room, a special room in his house or something like that, or like a, a certain area of his house. Well, at least he wasn't like uh, what's his face stuffing bodies in crawl spaces and not wrapping them in bags or something. I mean, Jesus, they had Ziplocs back back then. Take a little saran wrap. I mean, yeah, you got to do something better than put them in your crawl space. But you asked, you asked about um, the victims by race, like who the Democrat. If those stats you threw out were the victims or the serial killers. Well, here's the victims. Mm-hmm. Here's the victims and the percentages. Sixty-eight percent white are killed, and then it's twenty-three percent black. I mean, that's a that's a big drop off. And then again, when you get to the Hispanics, it's down to six Asians are one and then by sex weird 53 percent of men are killed and 46 women 46 percent women so that's kind of weird i think that's really close if you're a serial killer why would it why would you kill well just men it could be male so it could be younger kids or whatever but i don't understand it depends all you got to do is get one serial killer that goes on a really good streak and he could skew those uh poll numbers right there was it the zodiac killer that used to kill couples yeah so i mean stuff like that happens and then you have guys like john mangese that killed 33 guys and then i'm sure that Evens out with somebody uh, that killed like yeah, 10 prostitutes like twice. 10 Bundy who killed, you know, all women. Or I mean, the, is uh, it the challenge to go, okay, is it the challenge to go after, uh, if I'm a serial killer, is it a challenge to go after a guy? Is that what they're... I think they do it for different reasons. Well, yeah, yeah they want they, they want the power. They want, you know, they want the control, definitely. Um, but my thing is, guys have a good chance of defending themselves better than women. And I'm not... I don't want to hear anybody yelling about it. I'm not saying that women can't, but guys are physically a lot stronger, so that would be more of a challenge and more of a risk that this serial killer could lose out to. You know, one slip up, this other guy could be turning around, you know, drop kicking you or whatever. Do you know, does anyone know what they consider the sniper that happened a couple of years ago to be a serial killer? The Beltway? Could. Well, they didn't have a cooling off period, really. They just went on kind of a rampage. Yeah, they're sitting around their house and they're bored. Let's go Is kill that more of people. like a spree killer? No. Weren't they calling it's it a spree? A, I mean, it's just a random question that isn't really related. I just 
Because you never see any information about, like, that guy that had, was it his son with him? Yes. Yeah. And they had their, they drilled out the back of the trunk, and they That's had a gun through it. shit. I mean, they, they shot, like, a bunch of people. But maybe because there was two of them together, it's not considered the same thing. I don't know. I don't know. We were talking about, like, going after guys yeah. or versus women. And I said something about, you know, what's their motives? The number one motive they have is enjoyment. Mm-hmm. With thrill, lust, and power, forty-six percent. Now, now these percentages are off people that they've caught and they've talked to, and obviously pick their brain a lot. Financial gain is at thirty-one percent. Hmm. So first, enjoyment, power. Then they want the financial gain, and then it drops off pretty dramatic. Um, multiple motives, and then you drop down. That's eight percent. Then you drop down to anger, which is like seven, which is almost close to the multiple. Um, I'm surprised financial gains so high up there. I don't know of any serial killers that are like making money off of unless they rob their victims. But even then, it's like how much? Right. So I don't know what. Maybe they. You got to figure. Even maybe though it's these, more like the fame, you know, that brings the financial gain. Yeah, but right maybe here, gonna, it has attention. Point six two. Because as soon as they find out who they are, it's like they're not going to make money off of mm. their crimes. Criminal and criminal enterprise. And gang activity, 3.28. So it's, I, you know, these guys, obviously, when they're caught, they know they're playing the game with these psychologists and stuff. They know it's a big... So these numbers might be skewed a lot, but there's got to be some... I would probably say your power and thrill and the chase of it is their number one reason. Well, especially since most of these serial killers don't have any... Oh, of their own power in their own lives. Right, and like yeah. I said, and then the attention is point six two. But who was the big who was the big wig that put it out there that challenged the cops? Um, put the notes out there, stating you know Zodiac. I did this. Zodiac. You can't. Yeah, Zodiac. You couldn't catch me. Basically, yeah, uh, I never did. Right, and that that one went unsolved. But that would be obviously an attention thing. They caught Son of Sam though, didn't they? Yeah, he went on. You have him on your list to talk about? No, I don't. But yeah, they did catch him. So Son of Sam was the one that thought he was getting messages from the neighbor's dog? Yeah, yeah. And he was just like (laughs) randomly killing, I think it was brunette women in New York City. Yep. He would just shoot them. It was like the summer of, I don't know, I want to say it was in maybe the 60s or 70s. 70-something. It was like a really hot summer. Yep. There was a lot of blackouts. I remember that. And that was like the big thing. So he kept getting messages from the dog from next door. Now you know that's crazy because the dog wouldn't tell you to kill, kill, kill. (laughs) Unless it was like. Well, he thought it was Satan, didn't he? Didn't he think like the dog was like Satan? Somebody had some power over him. He was probably schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, he's putting his energy into something else other than him. Sometimes. That's where the messages were coming from. It's probably mental health related. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. So who's next on your list? How about Gary Ridgway? Oh. Sounds familiar. The Ridgway Murders? The Green Green River Killer. Yep. Green River Killer. Yeah. So he had, I think, like some of the most victims. I mean, he was convicted of killing 49 people. Um, all women, all were either prostitutes or underage runaways. And he would kill them and their bodies would be found in the Green River. Um, he would strangle them. And he was convicted of 49 murders, but 
it's presumed that he is actually responsible for more than 90. That's a lot. Yeah. So he's one of the, the highest ones. But, but it's not proven. I mean, he's kind of a doofus if you look at him. I, and who knows why he got away with it for so long. But I think it's because of who he killed. Yeah, nobody yeah. really cared about yeah. him. And he exactly. was in some back Yep. So back all country. prostitutes' lives matter. Right? Mm, not to Gary Ridgeway. No. <laughs> How did they finally catch him? Um, you know, let me double check on that one. Tranquilizer gun. I'm always curious to know, like, how they, yeah, because he was he was married tripped with a kid. Yeah, I was gonna say, didn't he have like a family yeah. and stuff? I don't remember offhand how he got caught. And it was late that he actually got caught. It was like in the early 2000s, I think. Yeah, because I thought they just made a documentary about him at some point recently. 2001, he was arrested. And he was uh, arrested on suspicion of murdering four women nearly 20 years after first being identified as a potential suspect when DNA evidence conclusively linked him to the victims that were found. The four victims that were found. (laughs) So it took a little while Mm -hmm. for DNA to catch up. But yeah, there's again this idiot. All his DNA is all over these victims, and you know I think he probably would have gotten caught much much faster if the murders happened 20 years after they did, and if he was killing people other than the people that he was killing. Well, yeah, you start to take people out of society that never really mattered in the first place. Mm-hmm. No one's gonna really care until you start, you know numbers start going up like this guy is decapitated or this guy is you know whatever and that's you know that's that's the shitty part of it all yep so I don't know was he actually cleaning up the streets at that point <laughs> I don't mean it that way I just mean he's obviously trying He has, his intention was to take these people out whether he had like this thing against women or hated his mom or something stupid that he was just going to take it all out on the, the dirty sins of the world, which, you know, prostitution is kind of considered that. So he had his motive mm-hmm. of, I'm going to start taking, taking them off the street corners. Yeah, come on for a ride. Oh, you know, $20. Okay, great. Done. You know? No, I don't think that was what he was going for. Not Gary Ridgeway. Well, I was just going in the whole mm-hmm. prostitute thing kind yeah. of thing. Right. Thinking that Rob just... Mm-hmm. Just like with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See how this is working. That's right. What do we got? Do you want to keep going? Or are you, are you, are you got more? Well, I uh, think you're kind of going in some kind of order, so I don't want to just like. I'm just going randomly, honestly. Just off the top of my head. Like, which one? See, next? you're not a serial killer. No. Because <laughs> it's random. You need order. Mm. You need order. Well, I. My person that I did some research on is probably. I think the most prolific serial killer in American history. Way Science. back, way back one too. That's why. Is this the double header? It could have been why. The two-headed dragon. So, this is Herman Webster Mudgett, better known as Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, or even better, well known as H. H. Holmes. This is true. So, 
H.H. H. Holmes was born May 16th, 1861. He supposedly died May 7th, 1896, but there's question about whether or not it was actually him swinging from the gallows. Air quotes. Yep. Um, he had nine victims that he was convicted of, but they, they speculate he could have killed as many as 200 people, which is a lot of people. Um, basically, he was like a super evil genius. <laughs> well, what's his nationality? Well, he was from Chicago. I don't know what his okay. Well, nationality he's so was. he might be American. Yeah, yeah, he was American. definitely American. I don't know like where his lineage came from, um, but he basically um, got his doctorate. He took over a pharmacy in Chicago, and the owner of the pharmacy mysteriously disappeared. He became the owner of the building, Oops. and then remade the building into what is better known as Murder Castle. So he made a hotel that had all kinds of mazes of death traps. Um, it had rooms that had gas chambers. It had rooms that had trap doors, rooms that had peepholes, rooms that had, you know, hidden parts that would lock, like all kinds of crazy things. He hired a bunch of people to make this building and he would fire them randomly. So no one ever knew the whole layout of the building. They would only get like the plan they were working at at that particular time. And then he would make up some story about how they did shoddy work or whatever it was. And he'd fire them and get That's new good. people coming in. So no one ever knew Truly the, the whole, whole extent of the building. They'd have to put a whole puzzle together to figure right. it out. So basically, um, Murder Castle... <laughs> was built during the um, Columbian Expedition. So all these tourists are coming there, huge amounts of people coming to Chicago, and there's this beautiful, nice hotel that people would stay in, and they would... It's like Hotel California. Mm -hmm. You can enter, but you can never leave. So um, he was linked to de deaths in the U.S. and Canada. Um, he came from an affluent family. He was very intelligent. He had an interest in medicine, um, from a young age, he had, you know, done very um, early types of surgery on animals. He stole corpses in college for insurance scams. Um, he sold skeletons to medical schools, which people now speculate were probably some of his victims. Mm -hmm. <laughs> interesting. Yep. Very interesting. So he was um, arrested and found guilty for the murder of Benjamin Pitzel. And he was supposedly hanged on May 7th, 1896. And I say supposedly because there's a big conspiracy theory out there that he actually convinced another person to go to the gallows for him, and he disappeared and led a life of, you know, obscurity from then on. So I think H.H. H. Holmes is, um, you know, there's a lot <coughs> to him, and there's a lot that we still don't really all know. It's... Um, He's loosely based on that uh, Mr. March character from American Horror Story Hotel. So if you saw that series at all, Mr. March is the one that builds the hotel and puts all the secret shoots and right. rooms and, you know, yep. blocks people up in walls and does all those things. And supposedly, H.H. H. Holmes was the very heavy influence for that <coughs> character. But I think one of the coolest things about H.H. H. Holmes is the possible connection to Jack the Ripper. How does that work? So, I really, I was telling you guys before, if I, like, could do anything, I mean, obviously I'd want to, like, quit my job and write books, 
Um, but I really want to be a riverologist. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but certain certain crime cases have always intrigued me. Like the whole Lizzie Borden case, the whole Jack the Ripper, um, but even like more modern, like the JonBenet Ramsey murder case that they still haven't solved. Like things that like, yeah. I don't know what it is, but I just, I'm always intrigued by that stuff. And I've always been into Jack the Ripper ever since I was young. Is that weird? That's probably weird. <laughs> it's not on the list, so you're okay. <laughs> I mean, it's probably weird to take books out on Jack the Ripper when you're like 10 at the library. Um, <laughs> but there is the great-great-grandson of H.H. H. Holmes, Jeff Mudgett, who wrote a book called Bloodstain. Um, and basically, he lays out the case to prove that Jack the Ripper was H.H. H. Holmes. Um, Jeff Mudgett was a, a lawyer. He was a former commander for the U.S. Naval Reserve, so he's a pretty reputable person. And supposedly he came into contact with two diaries. This is how the whole thing started. And the diaries are supposedly his great-great-grandfather's H.H. Holmes, which detail some of the murders that he did. Now, the diaries themselves have never been made public, um, but snippets here and there, Mm -hmm. little things have kind of come out. And there is a whole... A series, I believe, on the History Channel called American Ripper that tries to put the pieces together and show the similarities between H.H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper. I have not seen that show. I also have not read Jeff Mudgett's book. But I did come across a TED Talk that Jeff Mudgett did about the similarities and why he thinks Jack the Ripper is H.H. Holmes. So... He, put, he pretty much puts it out there that he's not trying to convince you. He's just trying to show you a preponderance of the evidence because right. he's a lawyer. Um, but there's a really cool Buffalo connection to all of this, too, which for us is super cool because Parababel Studios is located in the Buffalo region. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Did we do background checks for the show, Rob? Are we we should have, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> so everyone knows the story of Jack the Ripper. Um Throughout all of Ripper history, there's probably been 150 different suspects. Um, But when you narrow it down to people out of those suspects that would have the medical knowledge, would have the ability to do what Jack the Ripper did, it really comes out to like four or five possible suspects, H.H. Holmes being one of them. Mm, There he is. (laughs) So um, we know from letters, correspondence back and forth, that H.H. H. Holmes was in London at the time of the murders. Um, he had written back to someone in the U.S. about how he couldn't find his favorite periodical in London. Um, they are even starting to look now at the ship records because that stuff is all becoming more and more available. So they think that within the next year or two, they should be able to pinpoint the exact ship he came to London on, the day that he arrived, and when he went back to the U.S. Oh, shit. That's cool. So, um, when he was there, um, he spent some time in Whitechapel, and supposedly he was training an apprentice on how to kill. And he harvested ovaries and sex organs from these affluent women because he was trying to produce a youth serum. He thought that there was something in there that would keep people What, he just couldn't, like everybody else, go look for the fauna youth? He's got to rip out ovaries. I'm telling you, it's crazy. But it would make sense why the corpses in Whitechapel were desecrated the way that they were, mutilated. Um, So here's the proof he lays out. 
okay? And I just want you guys to follow this ripper journey. Keep an open mind. Oh, I'm, I'm on the journey. So these are the things that he says. So first of all, he says travel was actually pretty easy. It mm -hmm. took a week to get from the United States to London, which, you know, seems like a long time for us. But for the most part, travel was pretty easy. People could generally afford it. Remember, he came from an affluent family. He was a doctor. So money, money really was not a problem for him. Okay. And he was able to just get passage on a boat, cruise on over, cruise on back. So travel was easier than we think it was. So a letter that Holmes wrote to his lawyer um, talks about his favorite periodical. So that was the second piece of evidence. So the date of that letter is during the same exact time as the murders that took place in Whitechapel for Jack the Ripper. So it puts him in London during that time. Okay? Okay. Photos of possible Jack the Ripper. So there was 13 eyewitnesses that claimed that they saw the actual Jack the Ripper during the murders that took place. 13 eyewitnesses is a lot of people to say that they actually they saw, saw him. So they had a policeman sketch what everyone saw. You know, all they put all these descriptions right. together. And what they came up with was that he was approximately 5'7", 140 pounds, and between the ages of 25 and 35. Take that bitch out. 5'7". H.H. H. Holmes was 5'7", he was 150 pounds, and he was 27 at the time. Give or take heavier, different clothes. So he fits the description, at least height, weight, age. When they showed the comparison of the photo that came through from what all of these eyewitnesses had put together, mm -hmm. they superimposed it over a picture of H.H. H. Holmes, and it's almost identical. H.H. H. Holmes had a broken nose at one point, so his nose was crooked. And if you look at all of the uh, renderings from all the eyewitnesses, the nose is crooked. The eyes are shaped the same way. It's pretty crazy to see. Do you have questions? you want me to keep going? Well, no, I'll keep going. There's only a couple things left. Okay. So, um, the next piece of evidence that he used was the autopsies from the murders in London. So, every single um, autopsy from every single murder said that the person had to have um, atomical knowledge. They had to be an expert with a knife. Like, those are the exact words that are in the reports. Because the way that the cuts were made, the things were done... You had to, to have some kind on. of... Right. You had to be a surgeon or some kind of medical person, which, of course, Because if you didn't, you're just going to go in there and guess, like, oh, I know the kidney or this is on this side. You're just going to rip it open and tear it out. Right. So, and just as a side note for that, um, that rendering that they did, so it was the BBC and Scotland Yard that did that in 2016 for a special. They went back and got all these reports from these 13 eyewitnesses and had a forensic... Um, they used forensic facial technology mm -hmm. to actually create it and then superimposed it over this image. It's crazy. Technology is killing the business. So this is the craziest part, at least for me, that kind of says, okay, this is nuts. So if you know anything about Jack the Ripper, you know about the Dear Boss letter, which is the letter that he basically wrote to you know, the police, kind of taunting them about how he was going to kill again and what was going to happen. Um, the letter had said that the next victim would have no ear. And when they found the victim, so this is nuts. So the letter is received on September 27th, okay? It goes to Scotland Yard on September 29th. 
It's published on 10-1 in the newspaper. The letter said that the next victim would have no ear. They find a murder victim on, nine, on September 30th, so in the midst of all this, who had no ear. So it proves that Jack the Ripper is the person that wrote that letter because there's no way that he would have had knowledge of the crime before it happened otherwise. Right. So all the people that speculate that the Dear Boss letter is not actually written by Jack the Ripper, throw that out because the timeline proves that it is. He said specifically that you're going to find this next victim this way. They find the victim, and they had already been killed because when right, they found they him... The, it was 10-1, they got the letter, you 10-1, it went public. So 9-27, it was postmarked. Okay, yep. 9-27, it's postmarked. 9-29, Scotland Yard gets it. 10-1, it goes public. They find the body on 9-30. On 9-30. Okay. So they took this letter to a handwriting expert at the London Library and took H.H. Holmes, a um, couple letters that he had, some diary entries, the Dear Boss letter, had this person look at it who's supposed to be like a world-famous handwriting expert. Mm-hmm. And she writes back and says, in her professional opinion, it's a match. But... Jeff Mudgett knows, as a lawyer, that handwriting samples are not typically allowable as you know, pieces right. of evidence because so everybody has all these different variations of what they think an expert is. So he looks in the United States for some kind of place, some kind of expert that could say definitively yes or no. Do you know where he ends up? Buffalo, New York. UB. So the University of Buffalo. Because they created a program, a computer program, that can analyze handwriting samples to the point where it is so exact that you can't do it through the naked eye. So he brings all of this stuff to UB and has them run this computer program. And they again take the Dear Boss letter. They take these pieces from H.H. Holmes. And the results that came back was that it was a 96.75% match. Which is, like, unheard of. Like, they tried to say, like, if you took two pieces of paper right now and wrote two letters, mm-hmm. the same exact words, your own handwriting sample... Couldn't hit that high Couldn't percentage. hit that high. Right. And when they show you the certain, like, letters that they're looking at, like, the Jack the Ripper letter was signed, like, yours truly, Jack the Ripper, and H.H. H. Holmes had a letter that was signed, your true friend, H.H. H. Holmes. And when you look at... Like, the T's and the Y's, they look exact. So, those are the reasons that he laid out as examples of why he thinks that they were the same person. And he knows that he went back to Chicago in 1889, which is right when the murders in London stopped. Pen drop. So, could... So, Jack the Ripper, so he just went overseas then? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm not killing this country. I'm going to go over here, possibly. To hone his craft castle. and to supposedly um, train like somebody else on how to do this stuff. But the thing is, is that you always out. hear that they have a cooling off period. And maybe his cooling off period was when he was overseas in London. And even though he was still murdering, it wasn't the same as what he was doing here. I mean, it's a little crazy and I get that. But at the same time, like, it's probably the most evidence that anyone can say one way or the other as to who Jack the Ripper was. It's definitely really interesting. If you look at like the photo analysis that they did, and you look at, at the photo of H.H. H. Holmes, it is so crazy. It looks like the same person. So, 
in history and in books, when we learn about Jack the Ripper, do they bring this H.H. Holmes into the frame? Or do they just assume that this is some guy that was running around that might have been a surgeon killing off people in London and not going to this part? Because well, growing up, I never heard... New. This is still fairly new. Okay, so growing up, I never heard about H.H. H. Holmes being part of this whole thing. So this is all newer technology leading the path here. And he didn't inherit these diaries until a couple years ago. So they've been supposedly passed down from people in his family. And when his you know, relative, whoever it was, died, he came into possession of these That's crazy. Diaries. Didn't know that they existed before that. So he himself started to kind of put similar pieces together about like timelines and where he was and those kinds of things. And I mean, there is a whole subgroup of people that consider themselves to be ripperologists that all they do is study the ripper case. So he reached out initially and there was some, you know, things that were matching up, which made him delve even deeper. And he's a lawyer by trade. Right. So he's good at, you know, looking at evidence Puzzles and, and doing it that way. Right. And putting all those things together. And it's so nuts too, because if you get a chance to watch the Ted talk that he did at the end, he Ted basically talk. pulls the audience and he says that if this case was tried right now, you know, in this century, let's say that he was arrested tomorrow. He said that as a lawyer, he would take that very best eyewitness that he had, walk her into the courtroom, not let her look anywhere except straight ahead, sit her down, turn her in her seat so that she saw him for the first time. And he flat out said, he's like, the look on her face, you would know that that is Jack the Ripper. So he pulled the audience. There was like, I don't know, 900 people, maybe a thousand people there. And he pulled the whole audience in real time to see like how many people felt like they would be convinced by this. And it was like 700 and 80-something people said yes, and like 200-and-something people said no. Wow. So it's pretty compelling when you see no, this it, is the a physical B- evidence. BBC show? No, this is a TED Talk. Oh, it's a TED Talk? Yeah. So BBC did like a whole Jack the Ripper thing in 2006. But not like this? No. Okay. Not to this extent. So we can find this where? The the TED Talk? Yeah. I is mean, it? it's on like YouTube. You can look it up anywhere. I oh, it is. Ac- up, okay. Yeah. It is online that people yeah. can check this out. I came across it on like a, um, on a, like a Ripperology site. They had a whole article about the book Bloodstain that he wrote. And the TED Talk was on there. Um, some other like blogging type things, you know, people oh. going back and forth. See, I would have just thought Jack the Ripper was Jack the Ripper. You know, he did, over, did well, what he did. He but... had to be somebody. Oh, he's good. This is why we got him on the show. <laughs> he had to be somebody. Had to be somebody. But I, I would have never known about this whole H.H. Holmes stuff. Well, I love when there's a Buffalo connection. <laughs> you know. However, we'll take it. <laughs> Us Buffalonians love that we can say that there's a Buffalo connection. And, uh, you know, to have this, like, new technology, this whole computer program right in our own backyard that they were able to utilize and get the results they did, I mean, that to me is pretty definitive that whoever wrote that Dear Boss letter also wrote in Holmes' diary. Well, first time hearing this, what do you think, Rob? Do you think that would match up, just yeah. listening to the facts that she presented? Yeah, it's the, the facts are really convincing, that's for I sure. I mean, it's pretty damn close. I mean, it. I tell you what, it takes almost all of the question marks out of your head. Yeah. And it, it ends up giving you some type of basis going, okay, the face, and they play, put the face over the face, it almost matches mm-hmm. the broken nose. 
and then you go into the lettering, the timeline, the you know, the timeline, you know, and making sense that he could come over here to kill, or go over there into London and kill, and things are cool over here, and that makes sense in a cooling off period, which wouldn't have been known back then. Right. You know, and it's how this, these uh, wrestler and this John Douglas come up with this whole, you know, theory, there's a cooling off period, two to three people, and then you bounce, and then you come back around. So it was happening before... You know, yeah. if that is if that is factual to the point where we can, you know, use it, that's you know, that's uh, dead on. Do so I say dead on. If you just look, so I'm showing these guys now the rendering that the BBC and Scotland Yard did compared to the picture of H. H. Holmes, and. If you look, if you go to the TED Talk, or you can probably even find it on YouTube, they superimpose this photo over this one, and the characteristics match up almost exactly. It's really weird. Yeah. Well, Because they tell you, like, look at the eyes, look at the nose, like, those things. Yeah. You can see a little bit of it in there. I mean, if you stuck a hat on them. Random dead people on your phone? No, that's one of the victims from Jack the Ripper. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, if it, his it, face was bigger, like I think, yeah, you have to look at the comparison when they do this the the side by side with the super. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure if he came back to the states, or vice versa, he might want to look a tad bit different without going extreme. Because so, let's face it, do you really want to go stream? I mean, do you want to take your game to the next level? You know, if you had hair, now you're bald. You know, if you're bald, you wear a hat. Um, you change your hats, you change your, your, your outfit, you know, um, I now wear an earring, you know, things, you grow a mustache, you put a beard on, you shave it, you style it. I mean, that's going a long way, but for him, he probably figured if he traveled overseas, ain't nobody going to pick me up on this. I'll put a hat on, a coat or whatever, and then I'll just go back to the States after I cool down a little bit. Interesting. Hmm. Um, well, um, so we're sitting here talking about these whole this whole serial killer thing. Um, I have the United States uh, rundown. If you'd like to hear the uh, order of who's got the most kills, sure. Almost sounds like a fantasy game. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't realize this, but like you said, uh, Gary Ridgeway, Green Mile Killer, Green River Killer, Green yeah. Mile River. It's all the same, right? 1982 to 2000. Um, these are, as they say, proven victims. He had 49. Uh, then we drop off to, which I'm really surprised, as, as smart as this guy was, Ted Bundy and Gacy were both tied for 33. So, And Bundy did his between 74 and 78, and Gacy did his between 72 and 78, which, you know, I'm kind of disappointed because Gacy had a couple extra years in there to really knock up the numbers, and he just, you know, he flatlined at 33. Then we jump off to people I haven't really heard too much about. Um, this Dean Correll. In three years, he put up 28. So in three years, he's got a better kill percentage than Gacy and Bundy. Is this... It's like, you know, if you're going to draft, yeah. draft for Correll because he put up more, he's got a better percentage, and he's probably, his plus minus is probably good. <laughs> anyway, and then we go to um, Corona, uh, Juan Corona. In one year, but here you go. In one year, he did 25. So 1971, he put out 25. He was super busy. He kept busy. Then there's Wayne Williams, 
from 79 to 81, he did 24. Then Do Ronald Dominic, 23. Earl Nelson, Nelson 22. But that was in 1926. So Ridgeway, Bundy, Gacy, they're up there respectively. But Corona and Coral, you keep your eye on those guys because they they're, were putting they're up... good up-and-comers. They're, they're yeah. good, good up-and-comers, and their percentages were great. How many people did Jeffrey Dahmer kill? 17? Uh, yeah. 16? 17. Um, you can go on a haunted tour of, like... His whole what his apartment? Oh yeah, they take you on a tour and they show you like where people were killed, his apartment. What is that? So that apartment's no longer used. I, I, I don't know. Whoa, that's yeah. kind of weird. Like a celebrity tour. Well, we got a field trip to plan now. <laughs> well, let me let me just throw something out there because I know we got some listeners overseas, overseas, I should say. Okay, so serial killers with the highest known victim count, country, and then years active and then proven victims. Dr. Harold Shipman from England between 1975 and 1998. Proven victims, 250. Shipman. This guy was ripping up shop. Then we go to Gary Votto from Columbia. The 1990s, he had 138, respectable. <laughs> Pedro Lopez, Ecuador, Peru, 69 to 80, he had 110. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Carmigo from Ecuador also from 1974 to 1986. He had 72. Is Holmes speculated to have killed the most of any U.S. serial I, yeah, killer? Yeah, I think so. He's speculated to Not have, right? Not confirmed, because he probably got away with a lot, but yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you counted every tourist that disappeared during the uh, exposition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, how many, how many really disappeared during that? A lot? I think oh, yeah. on the low end... It was like 20-something that they say he killed. In the high end, you're talking like 200 or more. So this is really, I mean, unless, like you said, you have proven numbers that they can verify. And back then, you know, we didn't even get into the whole copycats. Because, let's face it, 70s, 80s, there's people doing that all the time. They were copycatting because, well, I have an example. Um, I have this thing that I researched today that what... Serial killers did that you would be surprised at. Isn't it true, though, that the FBI doesn't release, like, certain things about potential serial killers so that they, they can't know, copy it. They know yeah. if it's a copycat? Right. So, like, if you ever watched uh, Exorcist 3, and they're coming about, um, about the, uh, did they use Zodiac as the killer in there? Well, he had a certain ring finger in something, and they never, the police gave it out, but they gave out the wrong thing. So, if there was any serial killers or copycats, they would jump to that. And then if the other one did it the other way, they'd know that they have the real one. But um, <clears throat> there's this guy, uh, Derek Todd Lee, in 2003. He was charged with seven murders. His crimes received a lot of media coverage, both during his spree and after he was captured, earning him the <clears throat> nickname of the Baton Rouge serial killer. Now that Lee was locked up, the police said cl paid closer attention to <clears throat> several other victims, prostitutes, that the... Uh, serial killer had murdered but Lee hadn't killed these people and as it turned out Baton Rouge had another serial killer this guy was named Sean Gillis who was convicted of eight murders however the most interesting part was uh, when they searched Gillis's residence um, besides snuff films and photographs of the victims police found news newspaper clippings and videos of, of Derek Lee <clears throat> and Gillis had followed the investigation very closely, growing extremely close to that Lee was stealing the spotlight. So this this copycat guy, or the original guy who he thought, was so pissed off because someone else came in and stole his spotlight. And I think that's just truly 
funny in a <laughs> twisted way. Um, something we might know about Ted Bundy uh, is smart and witty and you know manipulative, cold-blooded. He was actually um, credited with saving a drowning child. He killed over 30 people across women, handsome. Um, he was at a beach one day and there was a toddler <clears throat> drowning. Three, year, three years old and he wandered away from his parents while on vacation in Green Lake, Seattle. Bundy was the first to notice him when he started drowning and jumped in the water and rescued the child. Hardly, one, <clears throat> hardly an act one would expect from a killer with no regard for human life. What a nice guy. <laughs> what, you know, then you sit there and go, well, was he truly disturbed? You know, or did he see his child as a precious life, like, before it gets yeah, converted? Yeah, tainted. Tainted, and, right, yeah. exactly. So Still innocent. I mean, there's there's all kinds of, like, cool little things that uh, mm-hmm. I pulled up. You know, American Horror Story, the Axeman of New Orleans, mm-hmm. the jazz player. Yep. Yep. You know, that... It's a lot of... This is what started to really interest me about doing this episode when it came into it. Because, like I said, I don't really follow, like, like Jack the Ripper, to me, would be like, oh, my God. But with this, I'm going to go watch that now. I know. You're going to become a Ripperologist. <laughs> because it's it's interesting now. It Before, I just thought it was a guy that hacked up a bunch of people and, you know, all right, I'm done. Well, now this has kind of got some cool motives on how this works. So then I started looking at, like... Um, things that some of these killers did that were actually humane or how they got away with certain things. You know, hey, I met the first lady. So, uh, yeah, what about it? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go stuff some bodies in a crawl space later. Yeah, okay. So, I don't know. What do you think about that? Who's your favorite serial killer of all time? Oh, that's a too hard of a question for me to answer. <laughs> Who's your top three? Well, you know, Gacy's one of them. Dahmer. And we didn't even talk about Dahmer. No, we got we'll save Dahmer and Bundy for like another episode. I think okay. they could do like their own show. Yeah, so, you could probably really. So get. Dahmer. I don't who know. Else? I can't even name my top three. It's too hard. Really? Yeah. Maybe. I only say Dahmer because he stands out the most. Yeah. Um, anytime you're eating people, that's different. Well, you know? yeah, that puts a special yeah. light on things. Yeah. You up your game. <laughs> you upped your game. Um, I would probably look into Gacy a little more. Mm-hmm. But he seems pretty cut and dry. Yeah, a couple people here and there, and but you don't, you know. I know we should take a poll of all our listeners to see who their favorite serial killers are. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. See so what everyone else know. thinks. Can we post it? Uh, yeah, on Facebook. I'll put yeah, I'll put a poll. I'll, but you know, if you have any of your favorite like dark horse serial killers that you want to let us know about dark horse that's like he's setting us up like a fantasy draft okay what you really want to look for is the high percentage in uh, Corona because he did 25 in one Uh year while the other guy only did 28 in three let us know I think people like Holmes just scare the crap out of me because of how smart they are smart and deviant and like you said you know their average IQ they've kind of figured out is around 94 95% what were we saying? The hundred and twenty is hundred and twenty is like high. I mean, that's high. like you're pretty. You're pretty genius. Up there. Is what one seventy eight, one sixty, somewhere in there. Yeah. So let us know at Parabell on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all those other good things. Parabell Podcast at Gmail dot com. Also, we should promote that we're going to be on Edge of the Edge Unknown. Of the Unknown. Yep. Radio we're a good friend on October 29th. 29th. from eight to ten. 
from 8 to 10. This one will be live. It will be, but I think it'll probably be on after. I know, but the, you want the you want the, the the night it happens. Maybe. It'll be special. The Walking Dead's probably going to be on. No one's going to listen to us. <laughs> Walking what? The Walking Dead. I don't even watch that show anymore. <sighs> well, if other people do. Well, we're sorry. I don't know. Anyway, so what do you think, Allie? Are we going to wrap this one up? I think so. I mean, it, there's obviously way more to talk about that we haven't talked about, so at some point... We'll get there. We but we go. got school in the morning. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Don't Maybe get murdered by a serial killer. Yes. Try to avoid that. Yeah, try... Yeah. That's so funny. I do have an article on how not to uh, how not to get killed by a killer, uh, serial killer. Well, we'll have to share that at the next serial killer episode. <laughs> it's so kind of funny. Then, Try to try to not have it happen to you. Mm-hmm. Don't right. become a statistic. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. <laughs> and don't use floppy disks to taunt the police or right. murder people. Lesson learned. Unless you're smart enough to like really recreate it and get it going again, bring it back up to a nice, you know, average. I don't think that's going to happen though. Nowadays, We're too they smart. They're, they're too smart. Do with a floppy disk. A floppy what? Exactly. (laughs) See how far you can skip it off the water? Mm -hmm. All right, I guess that's good, kids, right? That's good. All righty, we will catch you next time on Parabattle.